Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, everybody, it's Lon Seidman, and it's time for your weekly wrap-up. And I want to begin first, as we always do, by thanking our newest Patreon supporters. We have Matt Lawson. We have Clay, who's a returning contributor. Martin Sheck, Peter Stack, and Tom Ruffley, who upgraded his pledge to the channel. I want to thank everyone for their ongoing support through Patreon. That's helping uh, pay the salary for our assistant producer here. And I greatly appreciate everyone who watches on a regular basis, too, because all of those things equal channel growth. And we don't have a sponsor this week on the wrap-up, but we've got another non-ad affiliate link. And this week, uh, GearBest, who sends us all this crazy stuff from China, has their 11.11 sale, where you can get all sorts of good deals on their stuff that they sell. And you can go to that link that you see on screen. Screen, uh, to get a look at what the deals are. They've got a lot of uh, rolling deals, kind of like how Amazon does it. So you may want to pop in and take a look every couple of hours. I saw some Xiaomi stuff on sale, uh, as well as a bunch of other uh, really cool and neat looking gadgets that they might try to get in here to review. Uh, there's also some coupons available too. I'll try to find a link to some of them and put them down below in the video description. So definitely check out the GearBest 11.11 sale. Now on the Extras channel this week, I didn't do all that much in the way of unboxings because I was working on a lot of reviews on the main channel. And uh, we did a bunch of uh, deep dives into a bunch of new products here. So we looked at the Azul Byte 3 Mini PC, the Roku Streaming Stick Plus, and the Norton Core Router. And then on Saturday night, I was working away on my iPhone 10 review, and all those things are up there. And I wanted to do a couple little add-ons to those reviews. Uh, the first thing I wanted to talk about was the iPhone 10. Of course, it's the uh, biggest iPhone release in a while. It's the first d- new phone that actually looks a little different than the prior models. We've been seeing kind of the similar uh, overall layout and design since the iPhone iPhone 6 from uh, maybe three or four years ago. So that's a pretty big uh, move for Apple. And I'm pretty pleased with this phone, although I can see, and I mentioned this in the review, how people that were using the Plus phones uh, may not see this as a great upgrade because this phone is a lot thinner. It's not as big as those Plus phones are, although the screen is longer diagonally, or at least the the, uh, overall uh, size of the screen is longer diagonally. Uh, It actually is a bit smaller when you hold it in your hand, and I think a lot of people are having a hard time with that adjustment. I've been okay with that adjustment because I was really having a hard time operating my iPhone 7 Plus with one hand. I had been using the standard size phones before, and I bought the Plus because I wanted the nicer camera system, and I really did not like the fact that I was constantly shifting my grip. Even though Apple has a way of uh, making the screen drop down to the lower half of the screen, it still wasn't uh, easy to operate the phone one-handed. Uh, this one I'm able to do that with, and I was pretty pleased with that overall. Uh, the pickup experience was actually pretty decent. I had pre-ordered it. I had to wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning the day that they started taking the pre-orders. I went to the Apple store, and I was concerned because there was a line uh, all the way down the block in New Haven where I went to pick it up, and thankfully I had a pre-order for pickup. I had an appointment from 10 to 
and 10.30. I showed up at 10, and I was in and out in less than 30 minutes. It was a very good uh, and clean pickup experience for me. The Apple employees, bless them, were very enthusiastic about everybody picking up the $1,200 phone. And uh, she asked me at one point, are you really excited about the phone? And I said, not for nothing, but I look at a new phone every other week or so. So it's, you know, it's cool, but you know, I'm, I'm a little uh, overexcitement for uh, parting with $1,200. So in uh, any event, the phone was picked up, and we were good to go. Now, one of the things that really just surprises me about Apple products time and again is the amount of consumer interest with them. I either love them or you hate them. There's really no middle ground here, but typically my reviews get about 4,000 views in the first week or so, and uh, then the search traffic kind of picks up in the subsequent weeks. And usually my, my videos for a name brand product end up around you know, 10 or 15 or 20,000 views over maybe a year's time, unless it's something like a printer or some other thing that tends to get a little more viewership. Uh, this was intriguing to me because uh, Apple's uh, last two releases have done very well here on the channel. So I had uh, 14,000 views in just over 24 hours, according to my real-time counter here. And usually what happens is we get a huge surge right when I post here, and then it drops off uh, because it's, you know, it's, it's going out to subscribers that may or may not be interested. And once it's past that, it tends to drop off until the search engine kicks in. But uh, right when the drop-off typically started happening, the search traffic started picking up, and it just shows you just how much consumer interest is out there for these things. And if you look at Marcus Brownlee or Casey Neistat or some of the other folks, they're getting millions of views uh, on these videos, making a ton of money probably in the process. But speaking of a ton of money, uh, what's been happening this week, though, is that all of my videos, every single one I uploaded, got flagged as not suitable for most advertisers. And about two-thirds of the way through that uh, graph there, right about here, uh, that kicked on. So I've been losing a lot of money, I guess, on uh, advertising because of this uh, false uh, claim of a non-suitable uh, video. And apparently YouTube put in some new algorithm this week that was supposed to be better. Uh, but for me, it's actually been worse because every single video I've uploaded over the last week has been getting flagged. And they've been usually pretty good about uh, turning around the review period. Sometimes it was maybe four or five hours, sometimes maybe 12 hours, nothing more than that. Uh, but now, apparently, because they're flagging everything, everybody's requesting a manual review, and the review process is going a lot slower. So I'm actually kind of glad it's dropped off a little bit now because hopefully it will get uh, fixed before the search traffic then starts picking up again. But again, I was very pleased to see what I uh, got for viewership on that. And again, this shows you the power of uh, Apple's marketing out in the world with consumers. And uh, what's funny is they get so much interest in their products without having to spend a lot of money to get that interest out there. They've just got this thing on the media and others that just keeps hyping this stuff up. And it's a great phone, but I'll tell you what, I've been uh, really uh, surprised by how good the Galaxy S8 that I've been playing with over the last couple of weeks is as well. So um, it's just kind of interesting how Apple's been able to build that up with, uh, with consumers uh, over the last couple of years. And I had another follow-up on the Azul Byte 3 because somebody wrote in to ask more about the USB Type-C port on it and whether or not it supports additional displays because Azul is advertising that you can connect uh, three displays to the device, one through the VGA port, one through the HDMI, and another through the USB-C. In my review, I mentioned I could not get the displays to work. I was trying with a few different docks and a couple of other things, too. Uh, did not work at all. Azel went in and commented on the video that I posted saying it does, in fact, work through that USB-C port, and some viewers were confused by that. I went back and tested a bunch of other adapters that I've got in my uh, little drawer there, and nothing has worked. I cannot get video out of that USB-C port. So it may be that mine's not working right, but uh, my experience is that you cannot get USB-C display 
through the Azul Byte 3. So just buyer beware on that. And one more update on the Roku Streaming Stick Plus because Charles Griffin writes in with a, a tip about the remote control. First of all, he really likes the new remote design over the prior edition remotes. It is a lot thinner than the other ones were. Uh, but he also noted that the uh, remotes with a headphone jack will work with the Streaming Stick Plus if you pair that remote up to the stick. I'm not sure if you can buy these remotes separately. It might still be cheaper to go out and get the uh, Roku Ultra that comes with the remote with the headphone jack, but I know a lot of people like to do private listening, and it's often more convenient to do it through the remote control than it is through your smartphone with the app. So if you are looking for private listening on the streaming stick, if you've got one of those headphone jack uh, Roku remotes kicking around that you can pair up with your stick, plus it looks like it might actually work. Now it's time for a couple of things that are on my mind, and this is week 35 of doing this as a full-time endeavor, and I I think we're all kind of settled into our workflows now, which has been good. It's been nice to uh, have enough time to get everything ready for the week's production. In fact, I'm a video ahead already this week, which is great. So uh, things have been going well on that front. I also brought this up a couple of uh, weeks ago on the wrap-up, but I wanted to bring it up again. I'm hosting a, a group at the YouTube space in New York City. They were looking for volunteers to help host groups on uh, different topics, and I figured I would do one for technology creators. And uh, this is open to anyone who has 10,000 subscribers or more. That's their rule, uh, not mine. And if you are one of those folks that uh, is in the New York City area and you have a channel with 10,000 subscribers or more, I'd love for you to come out to this meetup we're doing, which is Friday, uh, November 17th from 6 to 8 p.m. at the YouTube space in New York City. And uh, if you know other creators that you think might be in the New York area that you follow, uh, definitely let them know about this. I'd love to get as many out there as we can because I'd like to meet some uh, people in person and maybe work on doing some collaborations and whatnot. So this would be a really good opportunity for them and for me. So if you know of anybody, definitely recommend they head out to the meetup. And a bunch of you have been asking about the status of my Chromebook Flip that I reviewed a couple of weeks ago. This is the second generation uh, little 10-inch uh, Chromebook 2-in-1 that Asus released a few months ago. And what's nice about this one is that it's a lot faster than the prior edition, and it really runs the Android apps quite nicely. I'm very pleased with it, uh, with one exception, though, and that was when I flipped it over into its tablet mode, it kept turning itself off. And I think the uh, magnet that detects when it should be going to sleep when it's folded up into its clamshell uh, is apparently a little too sensitive or something, and it's been uh, turning itself off. And I sent it away about two weeks ago. It has now been sent to two other repair centers after the one that they told me to send it to got it. So it's been kind of tossed around their uh, system there. But I have a feeling they're having a not a, maybe a widespread problem, but a, a sizable problem because I've been hearing from other people over the last couple of weeks that have had similar issues with theirs. They flip it over into tablet mode and it goes to sleep. So hopefully I'll get it back. Uh, I'll keep you posted as to when that might happen. And when it does get back, I'll do a little uh, update here on the wrap up. But I know a lot of you were curious about that and that is the status of it. And now it's time for some Q&A from you, the viewers. And I wanted to start off with this question from GamerBrian81 about the Wi-Fi test that I did on the Norton Core router. And uh, I usually, when I do a Wi-Fi test, is I set up the router on the desk here. I put a computer over here, and we test in a perfect situation uh, what the maximum throughput of the wireless connection is. And I think that uh, is often the best way to look at Wi-Fi in a way that might be consistent from consumer to consumer. Uh, the reason why Wi-Fi is so hard to test from a distance perspective is that my experience here in this house in a suburban rural area is going to be very different than your experience might be if you're in an older house for example, which is using uh, different types of building materials, or if you're in a densely populated area where you've got a lot of interference from other Wi-Fi connections 
uh, in your neighborhood. When I'm in New York City, the place that I stay at usually has about 45 or 50 different Wi-Fi access points. And uh, my experience with Wi-Fi in that apartment is very, very different than it is uh, here in my house. And likewise, every Wi-Fi device I have tested over the last you know, five or 10 years here in this house has performed about the same insofar as how a consumer would look at range. In other words, uh, I lose my signal in the same spot no matter what I am using if that uh, Wi-Fi access point is set up in the same spot that all the other ones have been set up in. And part of the problem is, is that uh, the regulatory authorities in your particular country will restrict how much power your Wi-Fi devices can transmit at, and that usually means that their ranges tend to be about the same. Now, I could go into the weeds and start looking at uh, frequencies and all the other stuff, but generally because 85% of my views on a product like this are coming from general consumers, uh, it's going to be very hard to explain that bit of a difference to them without having them zone out on it. So if you're wondering why I don't do a lot with Wi-Fi testing, it's not laziness. It's just that if I say it works great, it may not be working so great at your house because your house is in a different spot uh, with different building materials. And that is something that I think about quite a bit. This reminds me a lot of the, um, the speaker requests that I get from from time to time. When I review a pair of speakers, people want me to do a sound test of it. Uh, that is impossible to do because your speakers are going to impact uh, what the speakers that I'm reviewing will sound like, and you can't do an accurate representation of that. And the same can be said with Wi-Fi range also, and that's why I just do that uh, perfect world throughput test because that would be consistent from one consumer to the next. And this next question comes in from NeuroBioBoy, who's been curious about the retro game clone consoles we've been looking at. In fact, he wrote this comment on uh, an unboxing I was doing on the Extras channel of this device called the Classic 2 HD. I'll be looking at this probably in the next couple of weeks when it's out in the uh, retail market. And uh, this is a clone console that plays both NES and Famicom and Super Nintendo games on a single device here. You just select the console you want to boot up and pop the cartridge in and then you connect it up to your HD television, and you can even hook up your old game controllers here to the front and have at it. And I think the reason why these things exist is because uh, they are so easy to use. From a consumer standpoint, if you were a casual game player when you were a kid, you can get one of these as a gift from a parent or a loved one and find your cartridges, find your controllers, and uh, you can boot them up and play them on your HD TV for very little money. Not a lot of hassle with it. Uh, I love emulators because they are such a project. You got to get the device. You got to download the stuff. I have to go out sometimes and find some USB adapters for my old controllers. And it becomes a real project that I think a lot of people who are just casual uh, technology people aren't really that eager to undertake. And if you can go out and spend, you know, 80 bucks or so or less sometimes on something like this and get a good enough experience to get some nostalgia going on your television, uh, sometimes that is all you really want to do. So that's why I think these things exist. Uh, the input lag on these is not any better than an emulator. In some cases, they're worse than emulators. And we've done a lot of testing of these consoles. We'll be doing the same testing on this one as well. Uh, and the reason is, is that they're all running with these uh, clone chips. And basically what they've got is an SNES or an NES on a chip. Uh, it generates all the graphics and then it runs through an HD uh, video uh, chip to then push the video out via the HDMI. So when you hook these things up to a composite television, uh, the lag is almost non-existent because it is largely an analog process. Uh, here, because there's some digital conversion going on, uh, they tend to run about as slow as an emulator might, sometimes slower, sometimes maybe a little bit quicker, but generally, in my experience, not all that great. Uh, the exception to that rule, though, on the clone consoles are the ones based on a field 
programmable gate array chip. And these things are better than an emulator, uh, far better than a Raspberry Pi, and certainly better than a cheaper clone console. Uh, this one I have here is the uh, ridiculously expensive uh, Analog NT Mini. It costs about 450 bucks or so. Uh, they've got a cheaper one coming out soon that's going to run SNES games as well. And uh, these things are running with a field programmable gate array chip, which is essentially programmed to behave just like the original chips did, and you get a better accuracy, but also a much, much lower input lag. In fact, when I got my first FPGA-based clone console, which was the retro USB AVS that I reviewed about a year ago, I immediately noticed something different about it, and I couldn't put my fingers on it uh, figuratively, uh, in that when I was playing the game, something just felt so much more right uh, than a lot of the emulators and clone consoles I had played with up until that time. And it wasn't until I started measuring input lag that I realized these uh, FPGA devices have half the input lag of uh, the cheaper uh, NES and SNES on a chip and emulation devices or emulators do. And that was a big difference for me, enough that I noticed it. And I couldn't really notice it with my eyes as I was pushing buttons and watching things jump on screen, but it just felt more accurate to what I remembered these games being when I used to play them on a CRT television. Whatever they're doing in these devices uh, really gets that video signal out a lot quicker, and uh, that results in a much more natural way to play these games. Now, this this one is very expensive, of course, but they are coming up with that Super Nintendo version very shortly. Uh, that one can be had for about $200. I would imagine like this one, uh, there'll probably be some unofficial firmware to add additional consoles to it because this one not only runs the uh, NES and Famicom games, but it's also doing a bulk of the popular 80s uh, video game consoles, including the Atari, the ColecoVision, and a bunch of other stuff, too. I just, I can't say enough about this thing. I'm so happy with it because it is such an accurate experience, and I think these are the way to go. But that's the answer to the question, kind of a long-winded one, but at the end of the day, I think it really comes down to the fact that they are simple to use, they're cheap, it runs all the cartridges that non-tech-savvy people have in their closets, and they can uh, get these things running without a lot of aggravation, which I think sometimes emulation can provide. I find that aggravation kind of fun to work through, but I know a lot of people just want to play the games, and these things will play the games for a pretty low price. And Brad Wittenbaum writes in with a business-related question. I love talking about this stuff, and uh, he's wondering, what is the best thing for a YouTube creator? Is it views? Is it length of time that somebody watches? Does it help if somebody watches a video more than once? What if he pauses and comes back later? What about watching some or all of the ads? And I'll uh, try to cover some of these questions in uh, the next couple of minutes here. Maybe we'll do some more on this later if there is some more interest in this topic. But uh, the bottom line from a YouTube perspective is that uh, they are all about watch time. Their objective is to keep you from going someplace else. So if you watch a quick YouTube video and then decide maybe 30 seconds into it that you'd rather go over to Netflix or something and you end your session, uh, YouTube doesn't like that and they want to put videos in front of people that encourage people to stay on the platform. So it doesn't necessarily mean that you stay with my video, it's just that I am not sending you away uh, from YouTube and uh, that is their primary objective as far as things go. Now I look at things a little differently though. Uh, I look at views and the reason why I look at views is that I am still in growth mode here. I'm trying to attract new subscribers, I want more people to watch my videos and I look at a view as uh, another person who has discovered me because as I always talk about, about 85% of my viewership comes from non-subscribers. So a lot of people who watch early on or watch this series of videos, the wrap-up videos, 
Uh, most of these folks are subscribers, but uh, generally when I have a video that keeps getting watched, it's because new people are finding the channel. So I really look at views as my uh, measuring point as to whether or not a video is successful. But again, uh, YouTube looks at it from the standpoint of watch time. So yeah, if you watch a video twice and all the way through, that certainly helps because it's a, it's a signal that uh, I am keeping people on the YouTube platform and they want to encourage all of that. So if you uh, watch me during the day at work or something, you know, let the wrap up play. Uh, that watch time really does help. But I did want to talk a little bit more about ads and creators because um, the way the ad system works here for creators might be a little different than uh, you think. So uh, basically what happens with an advertisement is that I get the revenue share, I think I get 65% of the uh, ad buy uh, or the ad spend uh, based on the fact that you're watching for 30 seconds or more. So if you skip the ad in 25 seconds, then I'm not going to see any revenue from that. But what YouTube does is they keep putting more ads up in front of you until you do watch something for more than 30 seconds or uh, you click on the ads uh, link. So if you click on an ad link in five or 10 seconds, uh, we get compensated for that as creators or if you watch past the 30 30-second mark, we also get compensated for that. Uh, there are some instances where you can't skip the ads. So YouTube has these five-second non-skippable ads. We get uh, the revenue from those regardless, but generally those ads don't show up on every video. They really only go on the videos that are kind of premium quality content that uh, YouTube might be selling separately outside of their AdWords system. But how that revenue comes in is kind of all over the place and unpredictable. So let me show you something here. Uh, this is a chart that shows you the views that I've received on a gaming laptop review that I did recently. This, I think, was the Acer uh, laptop with the MX150 chip built in. And then we also have a video that I did about three or four years ago on the HD Home Run. In fact, that video was the uh, very first video I did about my cord cutting uh, adventure. And uh, it's gotten a lot of views over a very long period of time. But here's what's interesting here. The gaming laptop in the last 30 days had slightly more views than the HD Home Run did. Uh, but look at the revenue that these videos generated. I have far more revenue coming in from the HD Home Run video, uh, just from YouTube advertising, than I do with the gaming laptop. And I think it shows you perhaps just how saturated the gaming space is on YouTube versus something that is not about gaming, uh, in this case, cord cutting and some of the TV boxes. And I found consistently uh, that a gaming video that I would do here, even if it gets as many views as something like a TV box might, uh, the revenue on the gaming stuff is always significantly lower uh, than it might be for maybe a, a NAS device or a, a TV box like the Amazon Fire TV or something. Those devices just do so much better for me from a YouTube advertising perspective uh, than the gaming stuff does. And I think it just comes down to the amount of inventory. There's a ton of gaming inventory available, but not a lot of channels doing deep dives into this home theater stuff, for example, which I think is probably driving a lot of this. And uh, these gaming videos that I have, I'm not playing games, so I'm not falling into that uh, YouTube ad apocalypse stuff. In fact, most of these are uh, just fine from a monetization standpoint, but they just don't make as much money because there's just so many more gaming videos out there to uh, attract those types of ads that uh, for me, I do a lot better with the other stuff. So when you see a gaming thing here on the channel, I'm doing it out of love because I love these video games, especially the retro stuff, but uh, the bread and butter really comes from a lot of the home theater and other non-gaming devices that I review here on the channel. And on this topic, my channel of the week this week is Daryl Eves and he is a, a YouTube consultant, but he offers a lot of his insights for free on his YouTube channel. In fact, he's got some 
uh, pretty decent long uh, videos where he's doing presentations on the things that he's tried, kind of figured out along the way. He manages a lot of YouTube channels for brands and he's got a very good insight as to what is driving things and he's done a lot of his own experimentation to try to figure out uh, what's the best way to make your channel grow and uh, his stuff is really, really helpful. He hosts a uh, big conference every year also. Uh, so check him out here at lon.tv slash ease if you're interested in learning more about how YouTube works from a creator standpoint. I found him to be uh, very, very helpful in guiding me in my channel's growth here. Not personally, of course. I don't think I could afford him, but uh, his free information has been very, very useful. And my Q&A for you this week involves some more smartphone questions. I'm trying not to turn this channel into a smartphone all the time channel, but uh, there are a lot of good phones out right now. And a lot of you have been finding that uh, iPhone review interesting along with a number of other phones that I've reviewed in the recent past. And a couple of months ago now, I think uh, Qualcomm let me borrow one of these Galaxy S8s. I got to get it back to them shortly. I really got to get this review done. And I was really impressed with the quality of the Samsung Galaxy S8 when I took it out of the box. I was like, wow, I'd love to have an iPhone that felt like this. And now the iPhone 10 really does feel a lot like that uh, Galaxy S8. They really in the hand feel very, very similar. They're all glass and uh, they're really about the same size. They both have Samsung OLED screens built in. It's a very, very similar device. So I was thinking about doing a uh, S8 to iPhone 10 comparison video, uh, primarily because the S8 does cost a lot less and might give, I think, uh, Android users something that feels just as nice as this iPhone does for less money. But I wanted to get your opinion as to uh, some of the things I should cover in this review, because there are a ton of Galaxy S8 reviews up at this point. So I'm coming very late to that party. But I do think there's some value here in comparing it to uh, the iPhone 10. Uh, one viewer wrote in saying, I really should be comparing it to the new Note device. But to be honest with you, this is such a small phone, the iPhone 10 as well as the S8, that I think from a uh, size and weight perspective, uh, these are very, very similar and probably should be compared. So let me know your thoughts down in the comments section below, and that'll help guide me as I start thinking about putting this video together. Now this week on the channel, I definitely promised to get the SNES Classic review up, and that's probably going up tomorrow. I shot it a while ago, but it's uh, just getting preempted by other products that have been coming in. So be on the lookout for that. It's a review, but it's also my thoughts as to why I think it is a successful product and why people are so crazy about it. And I think it goes beyond just the limited supply. There's something about this thing that uh, is rather unique, even though its input lag, as you'll find, isn't all that better than what we've seen on other stuff. Uh, this one you may or may not see. I was hoping to get this review up this week. This is called the Onda All-in-One PC. It's one of those GearBest Chinese devices. And uh, we're having a hard time getting an operating system loaded up onto it. So you may not see this review just yet, but we're working on it. Uh, it's been giving us a lot of trouble in the studio this morning. But what's neat about this is it costs about uh, 370 bucks. It's a 23 point something inch display on it, 1080p. And it has one of the uh, KB Lake Celeron chips built in. So it's not a slower Apollo uh, Lake chip that we've been seeing on a lot of mini PCs. It's actually a uh, desktop class, essentially regular old uh, KB Lake Celeron processor. So we should see uh, better performance than uh, some of the other Apollo Lake devices we've seen, but of course less performance than an i3. But I think it's a good pair for uh, the hardware configuration here. So if we figure out how to get this thing loaded up with an operating system, we will review it, but uh, hopefully <laughs> that'll be done this week. I also got in another phone that we'll be looking at later in the week. This is a new one from Blue called the S1, and this is the first Blue phone uh, that will work on the Sprint network. So we'll be taking a look at this and comparing it to uh, some of their other low-cost phones. So be on the lookout for that a little later in the week. And of course, we'll have other stuff as uh, I, I find it. So I'm sure we'll be doing a couple of other things that I haven't even thought about just yet because it is 
Monday, and I'm just trying to get my head around the rest of the week here. Now, if you want to help the channel, you can. You can go to lon.tv slash Patreon and make a monthly contribution to the channel. We also have the tip jar set up at lon.tv slash tip jar for a one-time contribution. And of course, you can use PayPal and uh, make a contribution from outside the U.S. if you wish to help the channel. We also have a uh, deal with Plex going where if you sign up for a free Plex account, no subscription required or any kind of credit card, uh, we'll get a small commission for that. And we'll be doing some more things with Plex this week, hopefully as well. We have our channels here, the Extras channel where I do unboxings, the podcast where I do audio versions of what you're listening to right now, uh, the Snippets channel where we have search-friendly snippets of different components of things that I've done on the main channel, the VidMe channel, which is mostly the Extras channel, and of course my live stream archive. And we were planning to do a live stream last week, but we had power issues and a whole bunch of other stuff happened. So I will be definitely doing one. Uh, and we're going to be doing a live stream on that uh, external GPU that we got from GearBest about two or three weeks ago. Uh, what's been great that we didn't have it is that a bunch of viewers wrote in to tell me to be careful about the GPU that I choose for it because some don't work with this configuration. The newer 1030s uh, and up don't seem to work with this uh, thing we're going to try. So I have some older GPUs in the back and I appreciate everyone that wrote in to warn me about that. There was no danger of hardware breaking, but it would have uh, wasted time. So uh, I will get that figured out. I do have to get some reviews shot first. And once I get caught up with those, we'll try to plan something and uh, go from there. So stay tuned. I will let you know when that happens. And I'm sorry we didn't get it scheduled just yet. And I do suggest, though, if you want to get notified when I go live or have other things happen on the channel, click that notification bell so you'll get a notification pushed out to you when it happens. Uh, there have been some issues with subscribers not seeing me show up in their subscription feeds. There were some issues that YouTube was dealing with. So this is a safe way to make sure if you always want to see what I do uh, to get notified when those videos get posted. I do that with a bunch of my favorite channels. You can sign up for my email list at lon.tv slash email where I will notify you of that live stream as well. The Facebook page is at lon.tv slash Facebook where I post things that interest me throughout the week along with some other video content from the YouTube channel. The store is at lon.tv slash store where I sell the things I reviewed here on the channel and, and I'm now getting rid of and I've got a bunch of stuff that I've got to add to it. So as soon as I get more time, I'm going to start going through that as well. So I will send you an email about that store if you sign up for the separate store alert address. Uh, which will give you an update whenever I add things to the store or reduce the price of something. And these are one-offs. I don't run a business here shipping computer products out, but these are things that I reviewed here on the channel and I'm now uh, getting rid of. So that's going to do it for this week on the weekly wrap-up. Please keep those questions and comments coming. I greatly appreciate them. A lot more content to come here, and uh, let's just keep going. We'll see where we end up in the next couple of weeks. We're over 153,000 subscribers now on our way to 200K, hopefully, and we're growing slow and steady, and hopefully that will continue. Continue, uh, as we go. This is Lon Seibin. Thanks for watching. This channel is brought to you by my Patreon supporters, including Gold Level supporters, the Black Eyed and Blues Music Hour podcast, Chris Allegretta, John Prawl, William Miller, and Kalyan Kumar. If you want to help the channel, you can by contributing as little as a dollar a month. Head over to lon.tv slash Patreon to learn more. And don't forget to subscribe. Visit lon.tv slash s.